if you're anything like me, you'd, you'd develop a nervous tick and you'd, you'd have a straight jacket on. You'd be in a padded room somewhere, um, which is not what we want to do the week before a race. Diz Runs Radio, episode 781, starts in three, two. Welcome back to Diz Runs Radio, where I talk with runners from all corners of the running world about running, life, and everything in between. I'm your host, Denny Cray, and it's just about time to head out the door for an easy run and a great conversation. So if you're ready, then I'm ready. Let's get started. All right, y'all. It is that time of the month. Once again, it is time for uh, You Ask, I Answer, a little bit of listener Q&A. And uh, y'all have outdone yourselves this time. There's so many questions. I was I was pretty close to breaking this one up into a two-parter, which that may be how things end up going in the future. Who knows? Uh, but uh, we're going to try to keep this thing under, I don't know, under an hour and 15, hour and 20 minutes, something like that. And I don't know how much I like my chances of success because there's pretty near 30 questions this month, which is uh, by far a new record. So job job well done to y'all. Thank you guys for the questions. But before we get to those, real quick, I've got uh, several new uh, new patrons over the last couple of weeks that I need to uh, give, a, give a little shout out, give a little uh, public thanks to uh, Dan and Julie, Jennifer, Deborah, and Eric. Uh, thank you all for, for jumping in at, at various levels. Um, Patreon is, is a great way to, to help, you know, I, as I like to say, buy me a cup of coffee. So, you know, kind of help, help throw, throw a couple shekels my way to keep things going, keep the lights on, keep, uh, keep things, you know, progressing in the right direction. Uh, we got the book club going now, which is still, it's still struggling just a little bit to get off the ground. But, uh, you know, if you like reading kind of running related books or fitness kind of health mindset, those types of things, uh, those are the types of books that we're going to be diving into and discussing, um, you know, Working out the kinks now, and it, you know, once we get into 2020, uh, hopefully find a good rhythm to do that with. Um, but uh, that's that's a patron exclusive. Uh, also have some some uh, kind of I don't know if giveaways is quite the right way of saying it, but maybe some giveaways, so some chance to earn some free stuff just based on um, you know contributing some dollars. And it doesn't matter how much you support; it's just as as the 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 uh, support accumulates for each person, you have opportunities to cash that in for various odds and ends and goodies. And uh, those final details are coming. Uh, should be should be out already. Will be coming very soon. As far as what what you can get, and then it's just up to you. Whenever you want to cash in, you can cash in, and uh, you know get free coaching or a free call uh, shirts, swag, gear, um, this, that, and the other. We've got we've got options galore. So uh, thank you to uh, to once again to Dan and Julie, Jennifer, Deborah, and Eric for jumping on board recently. And if you want to jump on board uh, yourself, throw a couple shekels my way. Dizruns, or no, I'm sorry, Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N, patreon.com slash Dizruns. And of course, uh, want to even thank, I don't know, not thank more, but thank equally everybody who's been supporting the show via Patreon for, you know, weeks, months, couple cases, years at this point. Uh, certainly appreciate your uh, couple dollars here, couple dollars there, five, six dollars here and there. Uh, it certainly helps a lot. So without any further ado, we've got, we've got questions 
Let's uh, let's try to answer them. If you're new around these parts, like I said at the beginning, we do this each and every month. And uh, the best way to get your question into the queue, make sure that it gets answered, is to come over and join the Facebook group, disruns.com slash Facebook. I'll redirect you right there. Or just search for Disruns on Facebook. Click to join the group. And uh, we'll let you in somewhere middle of the month. I uh, put up a post that says, hey, what are your questions? And uh, if this month is any, any uh, guide, uh, y'all just been holding them up, waiting for them. And uh, ready to just throw them out at me when I posted the the, uh, the post not too long ago. So uh, dive in, shall we? Uh, first couple questions come from Peter. This is first one. Uh, how does strength training and cross training fit into math running? Um, it's a little bit of, it's a little bit delicate there, Peter. To be to be honest with you, at least the strength training part. Cross training, pretty simple. Um, cross at least at least from how I view cross training. And this is one of the the issues here is that cross training is one of those terms that has a bunch of different definitions depending on who you're talking to as far as what actually constitutes cross training for me cross training is basically anything that's aerobic in activity so walking swimming hiking biking elliptical rowing stair climbing roller skating uh anything that that works you from a cardiovascular system um predominantly at least so for me cross training and, and really for, for math principles in general, which is a style of heart rate training, which we're going to get more into heart rate training as we go. Got a couple of questions on that as well, um, which that seems like a common theme, right? Every month there's, there's heart rate training questions, which is fine. Um, I love talking about it. Love learning more about it. Um, always happy to, to talk about it. But uh, to, to your question, Peter, when it comes to cross training, it's super easy. It's, it's the same same rules as it is for your running. You know, whatever whatever your math heart rate limit is, which again, the, the math formula, the, the generic, the not the generic, the simple math formula is 180 minus your age, but then there are some adjustments that, that you can make based on fitness levels, injuries, things like that to adjust it a little bit up or down to make it less one size fits all and more specific to to you. Um, but whatever whatever your math number is for your running, that's the same number for your, your cross training. It doesn't, it doesn't change just because you're not running, but you're on the bike. Um, and remember, you don't have to hit your, your, max, your, your, your max math ceiling to get benefits. So sometimes it can be, you can, you, you can get away with working quite a bit harder on the bike, in the pool, whatever the case might be to try to get your heart rate up, which is fine, but you don't need to. So as long as you're staying under your math heart rate, whether you're running, whether you're cycling, whatever, you're improving your aerobic system, your aerobic fitness, building that aerobic base, which is so, so, so important. Strength training on the other hand is a bit tricky because strength training for the most part, unless you're doing like some type of high intensity interval type of training, question on that as well coming up soon. Uh, but doing something like that, CrossFit, hit training, whatever the case might be, um, typically your heart rate doesn't get up super, super high when you're strength training um, because you, you're doing a handful of reps, maybe 8, 10, 12 reps, um, and, and your heart rate, you're not, you're not working consistently long enough before you take a break and your heart rate settles back down. So on the surface, you're like, well, yeah, shoot, that's, that's not causing a problem. But the problem is, is that strength training kind of stressful for your body, kind of damages the tissue. That's that's what it's designed to do. That's how we get stronger, how we improve our strength via strength training. But that that uh, process is very similar physiologically to running too hard, running above your math limit. So for, for me, strength training, and this is something that I've, I've heard talked about on, on Primal Endurance and some of the, the Primal folks that really kind of introduced me to Maffetone, you know, as far as really becoming a devotee and, and really going down that, that rabbit hole um, some of the things that I've heard there is that instead of doing some drawn out strength training exercise, where maybe you're doing, you know, sets of 10 or 12 or 15 or something like that, and you're getting pretty close to fatigue or maybe even reaching fatigue with each set, the better option, if it's, if it works for you, and this is tricky for some folks, I'll admit, um, it, it helps for me cause I work from home I have a little bit of extra flexibility and freedom here. 
Um, but instead of doing like one workout block, do a handful of reps several times throughout the day. So maybe it's lunges, squats, push-ups, pull-ups, whatever. Um, if you have the ability to do some of those workouts throughout the day, or you know, get a little bit in the morning, a little bit in the evening, a little bit before bed, whatever the case might be, um, that's better. So instead of doing three sets of ten, you might do eight sets of three, or eight. Well, I guess eight sets of four would be better than three sets of ten, right? Would give you thirty-two reps instead of instead of thirty. But you're not ever taxing your body quite as much. You're not ever pushing to failure uh, like you might be. Like you either are with the, with the higher uh, number of reps, or at least you're getting closer. You're, you're doing a much less uh, intense workout. You're actually doing more work. You're, you're stressing your your muscles more, but there's less damage that's going on because they're not pushing into that fatigued state. So um, that's kind of how I try to squeeze my strength training in. I do short short amounts. Um, very rarely do I do strength training for any longer than eight or ten minutes at a time. But I get some lunges in here and there. I get you know I get I do my lunge matrix before my run. So there's some strength training there. I do my pull-ups before I get my coffee. I get my get some push-ups usually in the morning. Um, then do a little bit of strength training a couple times a week for for usually like I said about ten minutes every every once in a while. Dip it up to fifteen. Um, but try to try to I try to not put too much stress on my body from strength training. I still think strength training is important. I, I have no plans of removing it from my routine because it's so valuable. But you don't want to overdo your strength training. Um, with math training, because there is some complications there. And, and, and ultimately, I mean, we need to be lifting for, for life and for running, not for bodybuilding, at least most, assuming your goals are not bodybuilding related. If you're bodybuilding related, then, then you want to lift it in a certain way like that. But for us, um, you know, trying to get some, some lighter reps or lighter, lighter weights, you can, it's still okay to lift heavy. I'm not saying it's not okay to lift heavy, but not really completely fatiguing your muscles, not really completely wiping things out, lifting to failure, things like that is probably the best bet, uh, at least if you're following more of a math style uh, training method. But it's it's fuzzy waters when it comes to strength training and, and math training. Uh, Maffetone himself is like, yeah, don't even bother. It's not worth it. And I'm like, yeah, but it is. It is worth it. I believe it, strength training is still worth it. Just from a life, health, overall fitness perspective, it's a, it's a good thing. And for running, I think strength training is a good thing too. So I, I do have a little bit of pushback for him there, but it does lifting too long, too heavy, uh, too often can cause some problems with, or can at least work against the aerobic benefits that we're getting from math training. So it's, it's a balance, a delicate balance. Uh, and sorry, Peter, if that's not the clearest answer. Um, second question from Peter, why is it easier to keep my heart rate aerobic and recover quicker when I run at a natural speed versus intentionally versus an intentionally slower pace. Do you think it has to do with how much mental effort I'm putting in when I run at a slow pace? Um, th- th- this is going to be a little bit kind of a, a smart ass response here, Peter, but, it, but try to read past that and, and get the, the point that I'm trying to make. If it's easier to keep your heart rate down, i.e. to keep it into the aerobic zone when you're running at your natural speed or pace, why, why are you trying to slow down? Like, I, I don't, I don't understand that. Um, for me, the reason I have to, a reason I had to learn, kind of overcome the struggles of slowing down, was because at the the natural pace that I was running, I couldn't keep my heart rate below my desired heart rate limit, my 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 math limit, my aerobic threshold or my aerobic maximum, while still running at that pace. So I had to learn to slow down. If you can run at your normal natural pace, do it. I, 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 I feel like 
most of us that are going down this this heart rate training uh you know journey would love to have that problem would love to struggle with having to to run faster to keep our heart rate down which if 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 i'm reading your question correctly that's kind of what you're saying so um you know why can it sometimes go up when you do try to slow down yeah, it's a little bit of mental effort. It's probably some stress. There's a little bit maybe of anxiety of like, God, I'm trying to slow down and this isn't working very well. So that's going to bring it up. Um, you're also, you know, working your body. Your, your body's not so much in um, just kind of its natural flow, but it's you're, you're trying to kind of create a different movement pattern. Um, so you're, you're working harder to control your, your body, to control your limbs, which is going to, you know, it's going to bring it up just a little bit. I, I can't imagine that it's, it's dramatically higher, but it's going to bring it up a little bit. Um, eventually you figure it out. I mean, that's what I did. That's what many of us have done. Um, but gosh, I wish I could have been in a situation where I could just go out and ran and my heart rate would have stayed lower that way. Like, yeah, D- don't, don't create a problem by trying to slow down. If you're running at your, at your normal pace or your, your comfortable pace is already keeping your heart rate where it wants to be. You're good to go. You're good to go, Peter. So, uh, thank you for the questions though, sir. And, and continued, uh, good luck with, uh, the, the heart rate training. It is it, the stuff works. You just got to keep sticking with it. Um, Aaron comes in with the, uh, I guess the seasonal, the seasonal question, candy corn, can candy corn replace Cadbury eggs for running fuel? Like I thought we had a, I thought we had a no douche policy for the Facebook group. And this clown, this clown, Aaron keeps trying to bust my balls about Cadbury eggs. And now he throws candy corn onto on the mix, man. Come on, man. That, candy corn is useless. Candy corn is as useless as Cadbury eggs. Both are terrible period end of story if you want to eat garbage just not garbage from a from a nutritional standpoint just garbage because it's terrible it's gross it's disgusting as running fuel yeah yeah, i mean be my guest bro but candy corn ain't replacing cadbury eggs for my running fuel because cadbury eggs ain't even on the menu i mean let's not kid ourselves worst worst easter candy i would argue and i am not a fan of black jelly beans or black licorice by any stretch but I feel like I could choke down a black jelly bean easier than I could choke down a Cadbury, Cadbury egg. And candy corn? Oh, yeah. yeah. Nah. Serious question from Aaron. What causes toe cramps? I heard it is due to tight calves. Is this true? And if so, how do I combat them? Pickle juice or stretching? So um, when it comes to, to toe cramps, um, I mean, it's, it's, it's no different than any other type of cramp. All right? Cramps are cramps. Muscles are muscles. Um, some muscles are bigger. Some muscles have, have better endurance. Some muscles are more dexterous, more fine, fine-tuned. Um, some d- muscles fatigue more quickly. Some muscles don't. Uh, but muscles, muscles are muscles. At least we're talking skeletal muscles. Right? So all of you bio-physio nerds out there, I'm, I'm one of them. All, all of us know that there's you know cardiac muscle, skeletal muscle. They might both have muscle in their name, but they're two pretty much completely different uh, types of tissues. But when we're talking about skeletal muscle, everything, a muscle is a muscle is a muscle. There's some detail. There's some difference. But uh, it's not like your, your, the, the small muscles in your feet that connect to your toes, so the, the toe cramping feelings, sensations, it's not like those muscles cramp because of some different reason than why your quad might cramp or your hamstring or your calf or whatever the case might be. All right? There's, there, there can be a dozen different reasons. Um, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't label tight calves is the most likely reason it could be a contributing factor, but more often than not, when you're talking about muscle cramps, you're talking about some combination of overuse or fatigue to the muscle, um, potential dehydration issues, which kind of then can, can either be a contributing factor to, or 
can be completely separate from, from dehydration, but uh, a salt electrolyte type of imbalance within the tissues, within the, within the muscles, within your, your bodily system overall. Um, that, so so when, you're, when your toes cramp, when your feet cramp, more than likely it has something to do with one of those variables um, and, and perhaps a combination, probably a combination, probably something like where maybe you're, you, I, and I, it, this is not me trying to throw you under the bus, Aaron, I promise you that. I, I'll throw you under the bus about the silly Cadbury eggs comments. But this one, uh, I'm not trying to throw you under the bus here, but uh, depending on, on how, how strong, how flexible, how much time you spend working your feet, meaning, you know, doing some stuff barefoot, whether it's barefoot running, um, which is a question about that. Funny how I, I'm not even trying to bring all these things up, but there's all these, all these tie-ins already, all these little teases that we'll get back to later. But, you know, walking around the house barefoot, doing some, some foot strengthening and stretching type of exercises while you're watching TV or watching a game or whatever the case might be, um, you know, taking care of our feet can help keep those, those small muscles. Because let's not kid ourselves. The muscles on the bottom of our feet, pretty small compared to, you know, the muscles, most other parts of our body, with the exception of maybe face and hands, you know. Um, a lot of our other muscles, pretty darn big, pretty darn powerful. Uh, but the little muscles on our feet that control our toes, that, that, that support our arch, things like that. Um, you know, when you're, when you're in a race or on a long run, um, you know, you're working those muscles longer periods of time. So the, the smaller muscles, typically, not exclusively, but typically they tend to fatigue a little bit quicker. Um, so if you're not doing something to help strengthen and support and, and work those muscles, uh, maybe running with a lower profile or a lower cushion shoe once in a while, maybe for shorter runs, if, if it's a comfort issue, do it for the shorter runs, the longer runs, maybe you don't have to, although the, the more cushioned shoes on the longer runs could cause you problems because your feet can sometimes depending on the shoe can sometimes be fighting against the, um, cushioning that's in your shoe to try to find something stable to push off of. So sometimes the shoes, the, the soft cushy shoes that feel real good can cause you more foot problems because your foot is working so hard to try to find something hard to press off of when we're running versus the lower profile, lower cushion shoes that may not feel as comfortable, but they don't cause your foot to work as hard to find something hard to push off of because there's not a whole lot of cushion in there. So that's just a little PSA or, uh, you know, my, my little rationale for trying to like, for, for me tip personally preferring the, the lower cushion shoes, but maybe that's something that's at play as well. Um, but the simple answer for your question, what causes toe cramps? Typically some combination of overuse slash fatigue. So, you know, doesn't usually happen at the start of a run, but towards the end of a long run or a race, that's when you're more likely to have it. Um, dehydration again, longer race, you're sweating, things starting to, to become more concentrated inside your body and electrolyte imbalance, which can be, again, can be in association with being dehydrated or, um, can just happen because you're not taking in enough salt or you've taken in so much water that you've diluted everything or, you know, a whole host of, of possible reasons that that could come up as well. Um, but working on some combination of addressing those pickle juice can help, um, you know, some salts in your water, um, some type of salt tabs, whatever. Um, but doing something to, to try to shore up the electrolytes, shore up the hydration. And then I would definitely encourage if this is a regular thing for you, not just a one-off fluky thing, Aaron, strengthen and stretch the muscles in your feet, walk around the house, barefoot on your tiptoes, on your heels, do a little single leg balance while you're brushing your teeth, just in your barefoot, stand on one leg for, for one minute, switch other leg for a minute. By the time you're done brushing your teeth, you've gotten some balance work done, strengthen the muscles in your feet. Um, and, and hopefully those things will help and listen to the Samantha Wood episode if you haven't already, because we talk about some of the things that you can do for your feet in there as well. 
Next question comes from Deb says, do you have any knowledge of stem cell treatments or success slash demise stories of treating knee arthritis with stem cells? I know I always ask the complicated ones. Yeah, Deb, you, you're, you get your money's worth when it comes to, to questions. At least I get my money's worth of head scratching and hemming and hawing when you, when you ask a question. Um, it, it's a great question and, and uh, I'm not even going to pretend like I have any knowledge that um, wouldn't have just come from a quick Google search. Um, it's not something I've researched much of. It's not something that I've had any experience with either for myself or with anybody that I, I've worked closely with to kind of know how things work out. Um, I'm intrigued by stem cells. I think there's a lot of potential with certain treatments, um, but that's about the depth of my stem cell knowledge right there. So uh, I apologize. That I don't have anything better for you, um, but I, I, I do sincerely hope that you can find something that can help with the arthritis. So you can get back to, to running and being pain-free and really enjoying it. And uh, if it's stem cells, then then awesome. Um, if it's something else, awesome. But just hope that you're able to be, be healthy sooner rather than later, feeling good. Uh, and, and if you find out more about stem cells, to feel free to spread the word. Um, because like I said, it's something I'm interested in, but I haven't dedicated uh, ample time and effort to be able to uh, educate myself to answer your question uh, any more thoroughly than, like I said, just a quick Google. And so I'm not going to get myself into trouble by talking about something that I don't really understand. So I apologize, Deb, but thank you for the question and uh, hope that the knee is feeling better soon. Uh, next question comes from Michaela. It says, will my blisters ever go away? Since my 24-hour fest of 5Ks, I have three blisters that just keep growing, currently training for a marathon and an ultra in February. If they won't go away, what can I do? I have different shoes and several different pair of running socks in the rotation. So uh, in case in case you missed it, the 24-hour the, the 5K fest um, that, that Michaela did was just a, a 24-hour period where every hour on the hour, you, you, know, you started a, a 5K. Um, you had the option of starting a 5K, and it was how many 5Ks can you do? Uh, and I can't remember the number, but I think she did something 15, 16, something like that over the course of the 24-hour period, which was pretty awesome. Might've even been more. I apologize if I'm shortchanging you, my lady. But, uh, um, since then, which was, which was if memory serves is this is coming out a month and a half or two months ago. So it's been a while. Um, the blisters popped up and they don't seem to be going away. So, um, a couple of thoughts when it comes to blister care, a couple of bits of advice that, uh, I don't know if you've tried these things or not, but, uh, I'll throw them out there. And hopefully they'll help you, Michaela. And if not, maybe they'll help somebody else. But you know, if you've got if you've got blisters, contrary to what you may have heard in the past, it's okay to drain them. Okay, so if you've got blisters and you're trying to keep training and you're not draining your blisters, then then yeah, they're they're probably going to stick around and be annoying and maybe eventually tear off on their own and then hurt like crazy and then reform. Um, I've been down that road before, and it's it's not the most enjoyable. Um, so if you're not draining the blisters, that's where I would start. Um, now word of, of advice on that. Don't just like tear the skin off of it as a way to drain the, the blister. Um, use a needle, um, sterilize it. Of course, you know, whether it's with alcohol, probably best with like rubbing alcohol, just a little bit of alcohol on a cotton swab, rub that up and down the, the needle, um, or the pin or whatever, whatever sharp object that you're using. Um, and then puncture, puncture the, the, the blister and just press the fluid out. All right. Now pro tip, don't use the needle poking like perpendicular to your, your foot or your toe or wherever the blister is go in along the, the, the same side of, you know, like basically running the needle, you know, I'm 
demonstrating this on my hand right now, which obviously is doing you zero good, but run the needle like parallel, like right along the surface of, of your, your foot or your toe until it hits the blister. All right. And then push the, the needle in or the, the, the pin in to the skin, to the blister that way so that you're not running the risk of jamming the, the needle down into your, your flesh. Okay. You're just going to pierce that, that layer of skin that's blistered up, remove the, the needle or pin, press the fluid out. You may need to reinsert the pin a couple of times, um, but do that and press all the, the fluid out. Don't peel the skin though. Don't peel the skin, leave the skin on top, give it a couple of days to, to hopefully toughen up. Um, you may be wise to take a couple of days off of running. Okay. Give you, give, give that skin some time to dry out, to toughen up without, without rubbing again on your running shoes. And if, and if that costs you three or four days of training, but it solves the blister problem, I feel like that's a pretty good trade-off. So once the skin is dried off a little bit, um, get, get a good callus shaver. Um, I like the ones with the, that have like a, a razor blade. Um, I have, I have one that I got off of Amazon for like $4 or $6. Uh, there's a link in the show notes today, disruns.com slash seven, eight, one. Um, I mean, they're available at the local drugstore and stuff, but I have a link on Amazon in case you want to check that out. Um, at least to maybe have a better idea of what I'm talking about, but you get that, do some, do some trimming on the callus, do some trimming on that, that hard skin, that dry skin that's, that's in the area where the blister keeps popping up. Maybe get a pumice stone or one of the kind of more of the, the file type of, of callus removers and shave the, the rough edges down so that it's not catching. So it's less likely to rub. Um, and, and hopefully that would, that would solve it. I mean, I, I feel like I get blisters every once in a while, but it's, you know, usually it's because I haven't been taking as good a care of my, my feet as I should, you know, I get that blister that, or get the, the callus that starts to build up and I ignore it and, and ignore it and ignore it. And it keeps getting bigger and bigger. And then eventually I'll do a race or something with a bunch of hills. My foot rubs a little bit more and oh, I've got a blister pop dry shave after a couple of days. Good to go. And then no issues for months. So, um, foot care, Michaela, hopefully that, that helps you. Um, you may also pop the blisters, let the skin dry out and then go get a, you know, use it as an excuse to go get a pedicure. Go, go let, uh, go let, let somebody else take care of them. Do all the, the cutting and the shaving and the grinding. Um, get your toes painted at the same time and, uh, be good to go. One other thing just to keep in mind, if the skin of the blister does tear off and you've got that really tense, sensitive, tender skin underneath it, my go-to uh, from my athletic training days and still currently in my, you know, whatever, whatever my job is these days, days is, um, is to go with like a silver sulfide or silver sulfadiazide, whatever you want to call it, silver something or another. Um, again, there's a link in the show notes. You can get it again, Walgreens, CVS, any, any drugstore, Target, Walmart, all those places. Um, you know, just kind of buy the, the, the antibiotic ointment stuff. The silver sulfide is great to help that skin toughen up a little bit. You just put a thin layer on top of that, that real tender skin. It's a antimicrobial. So it's going to keep it from getting infected, but it also helps that skin to kind of toughen up a little bit to, uh, to, to form that protective layer. That is ultimately what our skin is. Right. Uh, but when we lose that top layer, it's, 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 it might be under like burn care at the, at the store. Cause that's, it's really commonly used for those types of things. When people have burns and they have the blisters and those pop and that really sensitive skin, silver sulfide, uh, is great for that. Also great coming under, underneath a blister. So little little pro tip there. Um, but hopefully, Michaela, you can you can start to to get these under control. Of course, you can always try to do like a moleskin or band aids or things like that over the top of the blister as it's still healing 
to try to help keep it from rubbing if you're going to continue to run or if it's if it's other shoes. Um, and that might be something to look into too. Is there, you know, now that your feet are a little bit, you know, you've got these little blisters here. Are there other shoes that you're wearing in daily life that's maybe causing you problems as well? Um, multiple angles to look at from this, but yeah, your blisters should go away. Your blisters should go away. I hope that you're able to uh, find a way to, uh, you know, get your, your feet blister free before too much longer. But thank you for the question, milady. Uh, next question comes from Maya. This is a good one. So what I think we've talked about before, but hey, I'll talk about it again. What is your poison? If you have one girl, I have a poison. Don't you worry about that. She says, I'm a bourbon fan myself, but not above drinking quote unquote old man beer once in a while. Um, I, I am definitely a spirits kind of guy. Uh, no cocktails, no, no reason to, to ruin a perfectly good glass of alcohol by putting some type of mixer or syrup or Coke or any of that kind of garbage in it. Nope. Just give it to me on, you know, one ice cube, maybe two and, uh, you know, a couple of fingers and we are good to go. If I had to nail it down, I would say gin would be my, my preferred poison, but I'm fairly equal opportunity between some scotch, some whiskey, uh, tequila, definitely like me some, some tequila. Tequila is probably my number two. Um, then scotch, um, and then kind of whiskey, bourbon, vodka are all kind of, um, there, you know, they're, they're all kind of a combining, competing for the fourth, the fourth, uh, notch of our fourth rung of the ladder. Um, and then somewhere way, way, way down behind beer, behind wine, um, would be rum. Like, I don't know. Rum was great when I was like 16, but you know, I'm, I'm an adult now. <laughs> um, and just straight rum is just, eh, it's just, there's nothing, eh, eh. kind of like vodka. It's just gonna, eh. But give me a good, a good gin or a good tequila. Mm. We can handle that. We can handle that for sure. Uh, next question comes from Amy. She says, uh, I'm a Greensboro native and the Cannonball Marathon is a great hometown race. How did you find it and what made you choose it for your fall marathon? So, uh, Amy, um, I have a, a working relationship with the folks behind the Cannonball Marathon. The, the team over there at uh, Junction 311, which I'm sure you're aware of if you live in Greensboro and you're part of the running scene. Um, I've had uh, Mike, the 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 founder, owner, uh, on, the, on the podcast talking about you know his running career and how he got into you know, being a race director and, and having whatever they've got. Goodness gracious. I should probably know this 18 or 19 races now that are part of their, their annual calendar. Um, and so, you know, after that was part of, of our relationship. And, uh, when I ran big beach marathon in Alabama, uh, earlier this year in January, that was another one of their races. And I got to go up and run that and, and do some promoting for it before the race, do some social, oh, do some social media promoting while we were there, uh, do some promoting after the race. And that's kind of how cannonball, you know, the same, same deal worked out. Um, they take care of the, the race fees and kind of help me, help me promote what I'm doing a little bit. I promote what they're doing a little bit. Um, get to come run a race, get to check it out, experience it, talk about it, promote it. Um, talk about it honestly, of course. So if there's, which really I didn't have anything bad to say about, about, uh, cannon or about the cannonball marathon. Um, it's a small race. It's a small race. So, you know, that's, that's, if you like big races, then you're not going to like cannonball. That's, that's about the only bad thing I had to say about it. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that's how I, that's how it came onto my, my radar was, uh, talking, you know, shout out to Nikki and, and Mike and, and everybody else at the crew at, at junction three one one, but, uh, you know, just working with them and, and helping them out, them helping me out and saying, Hey, here's this race in uh, North Carolina that, uh, they're looking to help continue to grow it. I said, Hey, why don't I come run it? I said, done. Come on, come on down, come on down, be our guest. And so that's, that's how it happened. But, uh, yeah, it, it is a great, a great race. Um, not my best race, 
But, uh, you know, I mean, it's it's North Carolina. So apparently y'all have hills up there. We don't have those down here in Florida. But uh, definitely a good race. Uh, and definitely, you know, I mean, if, if you haven't heard me talk about the Cannonball Marathon yet, I uh, would certainly encourage that as a possibility for next year. If you're looking for a smaller, fun, high-quality, but not, like, over-the-top rock and roll, those some real big city races, things like that, definitely would put Cannonball on that, that list. No doubt about it. Um, question from Virginia. Says, uh, not, and not the state. Question from the lady named Virginia. Uh, t- <laughs> tips for the week before my first full marathon. What should I avoid that week and what should I focus on that week? My race isn't until February, but just wondering your thoughts now so I don't freak out the week before the race. So uh, the, the two things that I think are important the, the week before any marathon or any big race, but certainly before your first one, before you kind of know exactly what you're getting yourself into. Um, one, remember that when you're a week out from a race, there's nothing that you can do to improve your fitness to make you quote unquote more fit, more ready for the race. All right. So there's no need to do a bunch of training. That's why we taper, right? That's why we taper for two weeks about sometimes three weeks. Some people like a three week taper, but that's why we taper before a big race because there's nothing you can do to improve your fitness. But if you try to do too much, too many hard workouts, too many miles, things like that, you can certainly show up at the starting line depleted tank on empty and make your race even more difficult. So we don't want to do that. So the week before your race run a little bit, you know, there's, there's no magic number as far as you should run this number of days or this number of miles. Um, definitely err on the side of less being more, but you know, if I just told you not to run at all for that week, if you're anything like me, you'd, you'd develop a nervous tick and you'd, you'd have a straight jacket on, you'd be in a padded room somewhere, um, which is not what we want to do the week before a race, right? Not, not what we want to do any time of year, any time, uh, ever if we can avoid it, but certainly the week before a race, like you want to be calm, you want to be relaxed. And so get a couple runs in to, to just kind of shake out the jitters, shake out the crazies. You know, the taper crazies are a thing, uh, because they're a thing. Um, again, more on that later, but, uh, definitely just get a couple runs in to kind of calm your mind, shake off, shake off any, any nerves that like, Oh my gosh, I might lose all my fitness because I haven't run too much. Like you're going to be fine. So minimal running, but don't be afraid to run a little bit that week before your race. Um, the other thing that I know I've talked about this at somewhere, but I can't remember where, cause I talk about too many things in too many different places, but too often we kind of wait until like the night before or maybe two nights before a race to worry about our fueling and being hydrated and getting enough sleep. Um, and obviously a day or two before the race, like those things are important, but if you can extend that out from just 48 hours before the race to whatever, 168 hours, that's how many hours are in a week. Right. Um, but you know, to a full week or five days or six days, something like that of, you know, just up in your, your fluid intake just a little bit making sure you're eating healthy foods, the type of food that you normally eat. Nothing. Don't be shocking your, your system with some type of crazy ethnic cuisine or something like that, that you don't typically eat, but like, Hey, you know, might as well try it. Um, no stick with the things that you know, your body tolerates. Well, get a little extra sleep, start focusing on the hydration, maybe a little extra, um, foam rolling or, or yoga or things like that to just kind of keep your body active, but not to be stressing it too much to help with the recovery. Cause remember the taper that week before the race, it's all about making sure your body is refreshed and ready and, 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 you know, fit to go on race day. And so trying to just kind of take care of those things more than just 24 or 48 hours out is, is helpful. Also the week before your race, I guess maybe this is the third thing. Uh, and, and this is kind of the final, final big thing is to plan your race strategy. Okay. So don't, don't do what I did in cannonball. Uh, last weekend or two weekends ago where I kind of went willy nilly into the race and just kind of, I'll just figure it out as I go because I got cocky, got too fast and then ended up really struggling towards the end. 
Um, instead, have a, have a bit more of a plan figured out for your race. What am I going to do? Am I going to do a run walk? If so, what are my intervals going to be? When am I going to stop to walk? Is it going to be every mile or is it going to be every 30 seconds or every minute and a half or whatever it is? Uh, figure that stuff out. Make sure you've got your, your gear, your clothes, everything's washed and, and laundered and ready to go. Um, you know, just kind of doing all those logistical plans that week before. Um, hopefully maybe even a few weeks before that, but certainly the week before you want to make sure that your race plan is locked and loaded and ready to go so that, you know, you can just, you can just enjoy the experience and the first marathon it's, it's, it's an experience, um, a good experience, bad experience that, that you can kind of be the judge of that. It's, it's something that you'll never forget. And, you know, hopefully it'll be a, a, a mostly positive experience for you, but it's, it's, it's a roller coaster. There's gonna be ups, there's gonna be downs, but crossing that first finish line is, is something that, uh, I know I, I can always remember that one. Uh, no, no doubt about it. At least at this point, you know, whatever, 13, 14 marathons deep. Um, can't remember every detail about all of them, but boy, I can remember most of the details about that first one. Pretty, left, an, left an impression to say the least. So I uh, hope that your training continues to go well, Virginia. And of course, if you have any other questions along the way, just let us know. Happy to talk about it on Q and A's, or I know you, we had your question on, on ask this a couple weeks ago. So thank you for that question as well. Another one from Michaela. Should I taper for a race? That's not my quote unquote, a race. I have a 25 K in a couple of weeks and a marathon in December, both which are being treated as supported training runs for my main goal race, my a race, uh, which is a 50 K in February. Um, Michaela, this is a, this is a really good question. And it's one where you can go either way. You know, this is really a, an, it depends type of question because, um, you know, treating them as a training run mean that you, you're probably not going to taper as much cause you're not going to be pushing as much. You're not going to be really racing them hard. Um, so you don't really need to taper that said, if, if you're making a big jump from, you know, like say, you know, hopefully your, your training plan is going to continue to ramp up, um, you know, in a, in a nice steady climb so that by the time you get to that marathon in December, you know, you'll have already done a, a 22 or 23 mile training run so that, you know, adding on to 26.2, isn't this huge jump as if like your longest run to that point was like 16 miles. And now you're trying to add 10 more miles to this training run. Like that one, you're going to want to taper for, you know, if you're doing that type of big jump, but if it's just a, a nice, steady, casual progression, intelligent, plotted out progression, um, I don't necessarily think you need to taper for them. Um, you may not want to do a bunch of like hard workouts that week. You know, you may not, you may want to taper from an intensity perspective, not hammer it. Um, you know, depending on what your training schedule looks like during the week, it might be wise to take an extra day off because you're going to be getting plenty of miles on the weekend, especially that, that marathon weekend, but it's not super vital. Um, I think maybe where I would say that you would be more, it would be more important to pay attention to is after the race. So, you know, after these, these races, even if you keep them nice and easy, even if you treat them as legitimate training runs, which I hope that that's, I mean, that's, that sounds like that's the plan. Um, you still want to maybe make sure to give yourself an extra couple of days, uh, after the, after that long run, before you start getting into it again. So still listen to your body. If you're not racing real hard, you shouldn't beat yourself up too much, especially if training is going well up to that point, but it's okay to take an extra day or two days off after a 26 mile training run. Um, or keep it really short. If you normally would run, you know, say just as, as for myself, as an example, normally my long runs are on Saturday, Sundays are off Mondays. I run, you know, four, five, six miles, something like that. If I do an S and G 26 on, on Saturday, I usually take Sunday off Monday. I'll probably run like three miles at the most, just a little something, loosen things up a bit, assuming that everything's feeling good. 
you know, if I'm, if I'm really sore after the, the 26 easy on Saturday, I'm probably not going to run on, on Monday. But if I do, I just back off the distance just a little bit, kind of ease into things and kind of play that, that next week, just a little bit more cautious since that, that 26 miler that I just did or 26.2 that I just did. And, and that marathon, the training run that you're going to be doing, it, it wasn't a race. I wasn't trying to hammer it, but I still need to respect that my, it was still a lot for my body that day. And so I might need to, to ease into my, my next week of training a little bit to just try to help prevent injuries from doing too much. So keep that in mind post races, but leading into the races, more than likely tapering is not really necessary. Just may want to pull back just a little bit, depending on what your schedule normally would look like. So, um, in general though, not really necessary to taper before a long training run. That is a race technically, right? Uh, next question comes from Nita. She says, Nita, I, I feel like I, I know I'm saying it right, but I feel like I'm, I'm blah, 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 that whenever I say your name, Nita. So I apologize for that. Uh, but Nita says, or asks, how do you train for the expo? With a little winky face, because I know what she's talking about. It's not going to the expo as a runner. It's going to the expo, uh, as a vendor because Nita wrote, uh, Oh gosh, what? Hold on. I didn't want to butcher the title of, Nita, of Nita's book because she was on the show not too long ago talking about her book, depression hates a moving target. And I know she was at, she's been at a few expos recently, but I know that, uh, right about the time she asked this question was right before the Columbus marathon, where she was setting up, talking to folks, selling books, doing all, doing the thing uh, to promote the book to to runners. And so, you know, how do you how do you train for being at, the, at an expo all day? Uh, I don't know. I mean, that's that's my least favorite part of of some of the races that I work with. Um, is I mean, it's important and it's awesome and it's fun to talk to people and get to know folks. Um, but just sitting or standing at the expo for you know, if it's just one day, it's still ten or twelve hours. If it's multiple days, oh, vey. Um, that's tough. I don't know. I mean, train your bladder, train your, 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 um, your, your nutrition needs so that you're not eating too much, but you know, don't be afraid. Don't, don't be afraid to fuel during the expo, uh, Anita. And, and hopefully that the expo at Columbus went well. Um, and hopefully future expos continue to go well, not only from a selling the book perspective, uh, because it really is a great book. Depression hates a moving target. Get yourself a copy if you haven't already. Um, but also from kind of figuring out, figuring out your vibe, figuring out what you need to do. Uh, cause I don't know, I don't have a good answer for what it takes to go stand and, and be chatty Kathy for eight, 10, 12 hours. Um, unless if I know all, if all y'all are going to be there, I'm good all day. But if it's just a bunch of people that don't know me and don't know the show, I'm not very good at initiating those conversations and it's just kind of awkward. So being at the expo, not, not my comfort zone, but something I have to do. Hopefully it's less, uh, less less anxiety producing for you need hope that it's something that you enjoy doing a bit more than I do. But, uh, uh, fun question there. Next one from Andrea says, uh, I found tapering very mentally taxing before my first half in April. I felt agitated and stressed and it wasn't nerves about the race itself. My first full is next month. Is this common or am I weird? And if it is common, what can I do to make it a little easier before my marathon? Andrea? Yes, girl. Yes, girl. Taper crazies are legit. They're real. They happen to us all, um, sometimes to different levels. Um, and a lot of times it has to do with, with, you know, getting excited for the race. And so even though you say that, that it wasn't nerves about the race itself, it was still, I mean, that was still your first race. It was still your first time going through this process there towards this first time of not running as much, uh, towards this first time of like, I'm going to go to an expo and I'm going to get a bib and I'm going to pin it on my, my shirt. And I'm going to like have an official time for a half marathon. Um, it's still, there's still a lot going on. And you know, when you're, when you're cutting back, you're not running as much, you're kind of thinking about it, planning about it, getting excited about it. Um, yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's the taper crazies right there. 
I'm glad you didn't have any taper pains. You might have one of those for your marathon uh, where all of a sudden you wake up one morning and something just hurts and you're like, what the hell did I do to my ankle? Like, I didn't do anything to my ankle. Why does it hurt? Don't worry about it. It'll be fine. Give it 24 hours. It'll be, it'll be like nothing happened. Taper pains. Those are real. Just like the taper crazes are real. Um, yes, it's common. What can you do to make it a little easier before your marathon? Uh, I don't know if there's anything, any miracle cures. I think it's one of those things where exposure therapy maybe is best. So the more times you run these races, the more times you go through a taper period, uh, the easier it gets to just kind of relax and you know what to expect. And it's not all unknown anymore as far as can, you know, maybe it's unknown. Can I do the distance or unknown? What's the expo going to be like, or unknown? Uh, what's it like to run a race with, you know, 20,000 people, or what's it like to run a race when there's seven people, not seven might be a bit small, but, but a couple hundred people. Um, Lots of uncertainties, lots of, lots of things that even though you're not stressed about the race itself, there's still that extra stress, that extra level of anxiety in the air that, that gets you. And yeah, it wears you out mentally. You get, you get a little snippy, maybe, um, not a, not a fun place to be, but it does get better. I think the more times you do it, I, I think that the tapers crazies can still come back a little bit when you really get, get locked in on like, I have a big goal for this race and you really put all your eggs in this one race's basket that can, that can cause the taper crazies to get a little bit out of control again. But if you, if you're not going in with super high expectations or super un, maybe even sometimes unrealistic expectations for the race, um, the more races you do, I, I hope for you, I know for me, the less I worry about, like I, I am, I could care less about tapering, right? Like whatever I tape, I'm tapering, I'm tapering. Eh, all right. No big deal. A little more bike, a little more yoga, a little less running. Got a race coming up. Yeah. All right. I'm not, I'm not going for my BQ yet. Not going for a big PR going to run to have fun. Yeah, I can handle it. Um, but as, as you get more goal oriented, I think sometimes those taper anxieties and crazy start to creep up, but, uh, good luck with your marathon next month. I uh, hope it goes well and hope that the tapers taper crazies aren't as bad this time as they were in the spring for your half marathon. Uh, next question comes from Sean. I think we're getting close to halfway through here. Goodness gracious. Already 45 minutes in, but, uh, next question from Sean marathon on Sunday. What does your menu look like for a pre-marathon weekend, AKA Friday through Friday and Saturday? So like I talked about when I was answering Virginia's question and like, I'm going to talk about another question down the road on this. Um, I mean, I don't change things up much for pre-marathon weekend fueling pretty much this, you know, I mean, if I'm staying at home, it's definitely the same type of stuff. Um, you know, not that I have like a, a set rigid menu that I choose from, but it's like, I just eat the same, t- you know, same types of food, same things prepared normally as I would, um, whether it was just a long run or whether it's a race doesn't, doesn't change at all. Um, I do have my, my night before kind of preferred meals that I've talked about before the rotisserie chicken, some fruit, uh, and some yogurt. Those, those things seem to work well for me. So I, I, you know, usually, usually go through that routine. Um, but the, the days, a couple days leading up to it, eh, whatever, normal, healthy food for me. Um, so yeah, sorry, I don't have a better, a better option for you. I just, you know, I, I try to eat healthy. I think I eat healthy most of the time. I try to stick with that. Um, and so I, tr- I try to, I try to eat like that for the most part every day, every month, every week, every month, every year. Um, so I don't vary from that too much a couple days beforehand. Y'all know I'm not a big carb loader. I, I, I think it's outdated. I think it's completely unnecessary. Um, if it works for you, great. Do you do you boo. But I, I don't, I mean, I have yogurt. I have a little bit more fruit. I guess there's some carbs in that stuff, but it's not like I'm 
I'm certainly not having pasta. I might have a sweet potato. That's about the extent of my carb loading. So um, nothing and, and probably not going to have a sweet potato, quite honestly. Uh, but that's that's about it for my pre my, my, my pre-marathon weekend menu is the same as my every weekend menu, to be quite honest. So sorry for a boring answer, Sean, but it's, it's meat, it's veggies, it's a little bit of fruit, a little bit of yogurt. Um, try to be healthy, try to avoid some real, real heavy stuff, try to avoid lots of fried stuff. Um, nothing, nothing too crazy. Things that I know work for me that, that my body can handle, that digestion is not going to be an issue. Um, hopefully mitigates the possibility of GI issues on race day. Um, that's, I stick with what works and it's just to kind of keep things pretty much same old, same old, whether it's going to race tomorrow or not. Uh, next question comes from Alicia says, uh, what are your best running safety tips? I live in Pittsburgh and although I never feel in danger during my runs, uh, there is just an incident on a trail near my house. Sometimes I am too naive and I know that being cautious is important. So, um, Alicia, and and it may be Alicia, if it's, if it's Alicia, I apologize. One, one, one or the other, I'm getting your name wrong. So whichever one it is, I apologize that I'm, I'm screwing it up. Um, but, uh, Alicia, um, I'm terrible at answering a question like this because I, I am, I am able to recognize that as a dude, I don't have some of those same worries, um, that y'all ladies have when you go running by yourself, especially if you're running, you know, in the dark, whether it's PM late in the evening, early in the morning. Um, I, I, I mean, I don't even think about running, by myself with my headphones in at five o'clock in the morning through not the worst parts of town, but through some parts of town that, um, maybe could be a little bit sketchy, but it's like, eh, it's dark. I can't see anybody, whatever. I'm good. Like, I don't even, I don't even think twice about it. Um, and I totally recognize that as a, as a dude, I can probably get away with that as, as a lady. That's something that's probably, probably not even on the back of your mind, probably in the forefront of your mind. Um, as far as where can I go and should I, you know, not keeping headphones in so you can be aware that's, that's certainly a, a safety tip. Um, you know, and, and, and so that's one, one thing, um, you know, I, I think that, that for the most part, and again, this is, this is me coming as a dude. So if I say something that's just completely ridiculous, forgive me, uh, <laughs> please forgive me. Um, I think common sense is always going to be your best, your best bet. So, you know, try, try to stick to, to areas that you're comfortable. Um, you know, if you're running, running at night, um, or in the early morning or whatever, running by yourself anytime, be in areas that you're, you're comfortable being in that you, that you're familiar with for the most part. Um, you know, try to be in areas where there's other traffic, whether it's pedestrian traffic, whether it's other, hopefully other runners, um, but walkers, cyclists, people out walking their dogs, um, people with their kids out for a bike ride. I mean, try to be in areas where you're not isolated and alone so that if there is some seedy character out there, that's, that's looking for, uh, you know, for an opportunity for lack of a better way of saying it, um, they're probably not going to make a move when there's a bunch of other people around so that not only might somebody, you know, jump in to, to protect you, hopefully some, hopefully several, several somebody's would jump in and help solve that, that situation right there. But also, I mean, somebody's going to, you know, somebody could hear you scream out or things like that. So, you know, they're probably not going to be in, in those types of scenarios. So try to stick to those types of areas. Um, like I said, headphones, you know, again, I, I'm terrible about this because I'm just like, yeah, put my headphones in, whatever. Ain't, ain't, ain't too scared. Um, but, you know, maybe you, you only run with one headphone. Maybe you don't listen to anything at all. So you can really be aware of your environment and, and of course, cars and things like that. Um, be aware of those. Um, of course, have a light, you know, have whether it's a knuckle light, 
um, which is certainly my my preferred go to options when it comes to, to some type of flashlight, headlamp, whatever. Uh, I'm a big you know I'm a fan of Knuckle Lights, whether or not they're sponsoring this. They're not sponsoring this episode, but uh, I'll give them a plug because I, I love the product. So using the Knuckle Lights is, is something that helps you see and, and maybe kind of helps you know if, if there's a little kind of shadowy area that you're approaching, you know you kind of flash that light into into that that little dark area right there and. Um, you know, give you a little heads up of like, oh, wait a minute. I think I see something up there. Let me just turn around right here as opposed to running right next to it where somebody could maybe grab you and, and pull you in, um, you know, and just, and just kind of being, being aware using common sense. Uh, of course you can also get some type of like they have runner's mace that kind of, you can, you, it, it's almost like a knuckle light. Basically it straps around your hand and it's right there. Easy to use in case something comes up, bam, you can, you can hit them with the mace. Uh, of course you can go even more intense with the self-defense, uh, options than mace. If, if you're comfortable with that, um, leave that to your, to your discretion. Um, but, uh, I, I you know, and again, I'll, I'll admit to being a bit, maybe, um, unaware of the severity of this, of this fear. Um, so they're not trying to downplay it. Just, it's not something that really crosses my mind. Um, but I remember back and I, I don't even know what show number this was, but I had a, a, like a round table episode with a bunch of ladies from salty running, um, on the show several hundred episodes ago. Um, so you might have to find it through the website. If you just go to disruns.com, you can search salty running. I'll put it, I'll put it, I'll try to put a link in the show notes as well. Um, disruns.com slash seven, eight, one for today's link or today's show notes. And then the link will be there. Um, but it was, you know, talking to a bunch of the ladies from Salty Running and kind of brought up this question. And they were like, you know what? Like, yes, something bad could happen. But we hear with media, social media, news, you know, 24-hour news cycles, when something does happen, we hear about it like it's the most common thing in the world. And obviously for you, having somebody nearby to you um, on the trail near your house, um, it's it's fresh in your mind. And it's something that you should certainly be aware of. But every one of the women that were on that that episode with, with Salty Runners... Um, Every single one of them said, you know what? Like, I'm going to live my life and I'm going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to live my life in fear of something that could happen. Like, I'm going to be smart. I'm going to use common sense. I'm going to take common precautions, but I'm going to go out and run. And I'm, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be confident. I'm going to be strong. I'm going to be a strong woman and go run. And so that's not me telling you that. That's, that's other ladies telling, telling their, their, experience their story. Um, several of them living in various metropolitan cities. So there's, you know, safer places and probably unsafer places, but you know, that's where being smart, common sense comes into play. Um, but you know, you, you got to make those decisions. What's the right risk or what's the right amount of risk for you. Um, but you know, I mean, there's something bad can happen anywhere, anytime running or not. So, you know, you got to, we all have to weigh, weigh those risks, calculate those risks. But I think the most important thing that we can always do in every situation running and otherwise it's just be be aware of our surroundings, have a little bit of common sense, um, and and hopefully, for the most part, that keeps us safe. But um, I don't know if that helps at all, Alicia. Uh, I hope it does. Um, obviously, hope you you know be safe, be smart. Um, maybe get a dog. <laughs> I don't know if getting a dog is on the is on the is on the table as an option. But uh, I know. I mean, not that we even have a big rough and tumble dog. Like Bailey's like forty pounds, but. Rebecca always feels much more comfortable running with the dog than she does running by herself if she's going early in the morning, just because, you know, the dog's more alert, more aware to, to sounds or movements or things like that. Um, and, and, you know, I don't know that, that my dog would, would be able to do much if it really came down to, to fighting for the life, but I have zero doubts at all that she would, she would do everything she could to protect me or protect Rebecca if there was a situation, um, that required it. I mean, that, it, our, my, my dog's kind of a wimp, but like she's a protective wimp, if you know what I mean. So, um, 
So maybe get yourself a dog. Get yourself a running partner that's got four legs. You know, get one maybe if you can get one that's even a little bit bigger, even even more protection. Because, you know, again, those seedy characters, they're not going to come out when there's a bunch of other people around. They're also probably not going to come out when, when you go running by with 80 pounds of muscle and teeth running with you. Um, you know. And I'm a dog guy, so you know, take that with a grain of salt. But this, just, just some, some, some ideas, some suggestions. But uh, certainly, you know, when in doubt, trust your gut, trust, trust your intuition. Please, all of us, Alicia and everybody else, be safe out there. All right. Uh, next question comes from Sue. Uh, question from Samantha Wood podcast. When uh, she said she that she ran in sandals, what kind of sandals was uh, are we talking about? Also, is stocking feet as good as true barefoot for those who live a little further north? Um, I don't know exactly what kind of sandals that, that she was talking about, Sue, but there's, there's a variety of different running sandals that are out there. Um, and, and, you know, they're not like, like Birkenstocks or anything like that. I mean, um, the, the good running sandals and there's, there's a, like I said, there's a few different varieties. Uh, I linked to them on Amazon. I linked to just kind of, you know, just a search on Amazon of, um, running sandals. So you can get there through the website. Or you can just go to Amazon yourself. Um, but they're, they're typically like a real thin sole. I mean, just nothing but a little piece of like I don't know, reinforced leather. I don't know exactly what it's made of. I've never, I've never worn any, but I've seen people running in them. Um, but just, just something to protect the sole of your feet from, you know, rocks and thorns and things like that. But there's nothing, not much to it. And then like, uh, you know, a little, a little thong strap to go between your, your big toe and your, your little toe or your, you know, your next toe. Um, and then kind of loops around your, your foot and ankle a couple of times. You know, a couple, just, I mean, just a kind of a typical sandal, um, type of design. I mean, real simple, real, real rudimentary, um, just enough to keep that, that shoe on your foot and, and, you know, and protect your soul a little bit. Um, and that's it. That's it. That's all there is to it. Um, not something I've ever used, not something I've ever tried, but, uh, those are, I'm sure that one of those types of sandals, uh, is, is what, uh, Samantha was talking about. Um, but yeah, check it out if you're interested. And then, you know, when it comes to uh, a stocking feet as good as true barefoot. Yeah, pretty much. You know, if the ground's frozen, it's okay to wear some socks or if, if you're, you've got cold floors in the house, uh, because it's winter time. Yeah. It's okay to wear socks. You're okay. Um, you know, obviously be aware of slipping and sliding and things like that, but you know, nothing, your, your feet aren't getting extra support because you're in socks. Okay. Uh, maybe running socks a little bit. Some of them have some of that support in there, but just typical socks. You're fine. You're still getting the benefits, uh, keeping your toes just a little bit warmer. That's, that's an okay thing, but definitely working, working your feet, uh, working the muscles in your feet is important. Um, whether that means running barefoot or not, totally up to you, but, uh, definitely encourage you to take care of your feet and all of us to take care of our feet. Um, and if you're looking for running sandals, you can get some, you can get some and they're, they're, you're, they're cheaper than running shoes. You know, I mean, they, they use less material, so I suppose they should be. Um, but uh, you can check those out on Amazon as well. Uh, next question comes from Jason. What are your thoughts on doing marathons less than a month apart? I've been running races this distance for three plus years now after Marine Corps marathon, where I hope to PR, I'm most likely going to run the soldier marathon in, on Fort or in Fort Benning, but with no time goal and just to finish one of the wise, it will finish a trifecta of military related marathons for good causes within two months. I also ran air force marathon and will also meet the requirement for marathon maniacs. So Jason, you know, this is one of those questions where, um, it really comes down to running versus racing. And obviously you're, you're planning to race Marine Corps, what it sounds like, um, you're trying to PR. So you're going to push it hard. Um, that's, that can be a little bit problematic depending on how quickly Fort Benning is, because if you don't recover well enough after pushing hard, um, and then you go out to run again, your chances of injury go up. 
Um, you know, as far as just running the distance, running 26.2 miles, whether it's an official race or not, um, doing that a couple times a month or whatever, it's, it's not a big deal. Not a big deal. Um, you know, it, it's stress on the body, but if you're smart, keeping it easy, well-trained, have enough of a base of fitness, you can get away with it. I'm sure you can get away with running multiple marathons in a week. You know, if you're doing like a mainly marathon series or something like that, you can do it. You just, you, you can't really expect to race them all. So if it was me, I would encourage you to run the first one easy and then try to race the second marathon. Um, just because after the second one, you're going to have, hopefully be able to take longer to recover make sure that you're feeling good and all the little, you know, aches and pains and things like that are gone as opposed to, I don't know what the time frame is, but again, if it's a quick turnaround, you pretty much go from one right into the next one. Well, if you're really racing hard and you might not be fully recovered yet, so that can be a problem. But, uh, yeah, I mean, there's, there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with it. And then Julie followed up with this question, touch on, um, prep maintenance and recovery to do a monthly 26.2 versus running two 26.2 races. Which I think I kind of did that a little bit there, uh, Julie, but yeah, I mean, you know, for, if you've been following along long enough, uh, you know that this year, 2019, my goal has been to run at least one marathon distance run every month. Um, missed it, missed the mark in February, kind of had a little bit of a, of a nagging injury and some poor planning. Um, but since then I've gotten all of them in, uh, assuming Marine Corps goes well, uh, tomorrow as you, as this episode comes out or two days from, from when this episode comes out, um, you know, I'll have two in for this month. I had two in for, for the month of January. So I'm, I'll, I'll end up with assuming that the next nine weeks of the year or 10 weeks of the year, go, go according to plan. I'll end up with 15 marathon distance runs or races or longer, a couple of ultras mixed in as well. Um, by the end of the end of the year or for the, for the year. Um, and, and I, you know, I, I don't think that there's been a whole lot of prep maintenance, anything like that, that I've, I've really needed to do, especially when I'm just running. Cause I'm running, I'm easy. I'm typically, you know, when it's not a race, I'm keeping my heart rate in the zone. So I end up walking a lot in the last 10 K or so, because it's usually getting hot. I'm getting fatigued. Um, so it's not, it's not nearly as hard on my body as, as trying to race a bunch of races. Um, and again, I mean, that goes back to the, to the answer for Jason. I mean, just, you know, there's a difference between running and racing a marathon and a ra- racing multiple marathons a month is really hard to do physically. It's really hard to do mentally. It's really hard to dial in your, your, your brain to do that, but to just run 26.2, if you've got the, if you've got the, the, the base, if you've been running long enough, it's not that big of a deal. So I don't know if that really answers all the questions or not, but, um, my thoughts are it's, it's doable, but you gotta be smart. You gotta be smart. Otherwise you really start to play with fire by trying to push too much too often possibly end up injured. So Jason, hope it goes well for you. And if you listen to this before Saturday afternoon at Marine Corps, make sure you come say hi. We're going to be at the, uh, the expo at about two o'clock, uh, hanging out for, I don't know, an hour, two hours, something like that. Uh, and, and looking forward to meeting a bunch of people there. Uh, and you certainly would be invited, uh, details in the Facebook group. I'll tag you in the post. If you're not, haven't been tagged already. Uh, next question comes from Holly. I have a consistency issue with cross training slash strength training. I would rather just run. Yeah. Join, join the club, girl. All of us, I think, would rather just run. Um, anyway, back to the question. So I recently joined a group of uh, a hit class, a group hit class, once a week to hold myself accountable. After two classes, literally everything hurts. Do you think these types of classes are good? Are a good option for runners or should I look for something else? So, um, you know, doing a hit class, a high-intensity intervals type of class, you know, sometimes can be CrossFit. It can be, certainly can happen outside of the CrossFit environment. Um, but those, those high-intensity interval classes, Orange Theory, I think, would also kind of fall into that category as well. Um, those things can be good and and strength training is definitely important. I mean, strength training, I, 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 as I talked about earlier, um, I'm a fan of it. I I believe in it. I believe in the value of it. Um, 
I don't necessarily believe there's a one size fits surprise, surprise. I don't believe there's a one size fits all for it though. Um, if you like doing the hit classes, great. Keep going with it. I have worked with folks. I work with, with somebody right now who does CrossFit two or three times a week, typically, um, on top of her running and she loves it. She loves it. She's getting stronger. Um, of course, crushes everybody at the, at the CrossFit, uh, box when it's, it's a running heavy workout. She's destroys them. Um, so that's always fun, but I mean, doing, doing great, doing great. No issues. Had other clients in the past done the same thing. No issues. Um, but if you're not liking it, as far as the being hurt after, after two classes, yeah. I mean, you're working your body in different ways. You're working different body parts, different muscles, um, working them hard, high intensity. I mean, that's, that's hard. Um, there's going to be some soreness. There's going to be some, some aches and some extra aches and pains going around. Um, you know, those, those, your body will start to adapt. Okay. Um, make sure your runs are pretty easy, um, around those hit classes for sure. Um, but you'll adapt. You, and you'll, you won't be hurting as much. But if you're not enjoying it, yeah, I mean, there's other options. There's other options. You could do Pilates. You could do, um, you know, your own kind of strength training stuff. You could join a different type of class. Um, you know, a lot of times you can modify. So you could, you know, you could, if, if you if you are okay with not being too caught up in exactly what the class is doing, you can modify so that it's as maybe a, a, a mid class, a moderate intensity, a moderate interval intensity training class. Um, you know, talk to the instructor and, and ask for maybe some suggestions. Say, Hey, you know, like I'm doing this as, as kind of to supplement my running. Um, and they might try to tell you that you should go balls to the walls anyway, but you know, you're the one making the choice. You're the one paying the bills. You're the one you're in charge of you, not them. Um, so, you know, ask them for ways to modify some things, or maybe it's, you know, if you're doing, um, you know, as many reps as you can in a minute, I'll just do like 20 seconds or, you know, pause after every rep reset and do again. So you're not just banging them out like crazy. You're, you're being controlled. You're being smart. Uh, you're, you're making some modifications. So, you know, I, I, there's nothing wrong with hit classes. They're not my jam, not something I enjoy doing. Um, but if you like it and if you like the social dynamic of the group event, um, you can certainly keep working through it and the soreness will start to be not as big of an issue. Uh, but if you don't like it, don't, don't spend time doing something that you don't like. There's other options out there exploring other options. So, uh, how's that for, for setting on the fence, Holly, and, and, uh, not really answering your question, but, uh, letting you hopefully giving you the, the right tools to choose your own adventure at this point. So thank you for the question though. Next three, we've got a trifecta coming from Nancy. The first one, how to stay motivated year round running and how much time off, how much time is okay to take off between seasons. So, um, I mean, you know, as I don't have a problem really staying motivated. I mean, I'm a runner. I run. It's what I, it's what I do. Uh, it, shoot, built a, built a bloody biz, business around it. Um, it, it's something I enjoy doing that said every once in a while, it starts to get a little, eh, starts to get a little heavy. So when that happens, it just take a little time off, take a little time off. Um, for me, you know, that might be 10 days, two weeks, maybe a month. Um, but just take a little, a little step back, not run for a while, still engage in the group. And all of a sudden it's like, gosh, I w- want to get out there. want to, want to make something happen. And I get back out there and, and all is well again. Um, how much time is okay to take off between seasons? You know, it's, as much as you need, if you're, if you're feeling kind of burned out, take a little bit more time off. If you're, if you're not take, take enough time off to just kind of give your body a little bit of a break. But the key here in my mind, at least is that when it comes to taking time off, it's not like you're just sitting on the couch doing nothing, you know, take that time off to do some yoga or to do some cycling or to do some swimming or to do, do something that's still active, but it's, it's shoring up weak links, it's working your body a different way. Um, you know, it's cross training, it's strength, strengthening, stretching, um, all of those types of things that are good, that are beneficial. Use that extra time when you're not running 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 miles a week to get that extra stuff in, get those, those little things 
that are kind of not so little, get those little things taken care of. And you might be surprised to find out that after three weeks, four weeks, five weeks, you come back, you're running better than you were before because you've, you've shored up some of those, those loose, those loose ends, those weak links there, uh, by practicing the little things. So, you know, take as much time off as you need, but you know, a month, two months, something like that. It's not, not unheard of, not, it's not, not too much. Um, as long as you're still staying active, doing some other things, you, you, you won't really lose much fitness at all. Um, what favorite treats do you like to eat after a marathon slash race slash hard workout? Um, referencing a, a real popular, uh, thread recently about superhero muffins. Um, and this says, even though they have pumpkin in them and I know that that's not your cup of tea. Yeah. It's not really my cup of tea, although I can handle a little bit of pumpkin in something like that. I could, I could probably, uh, choke Chris's muffins down. Uh, they looked really good to be, to be quite honest. Um, but certainly not, wouldn't be my go-to. Um, and, and, you know, kind of going back to the question earlier about pre-race, you know, food and, and whatnot, uh, you know, the race weekend. I mean, I don't really color too far outside the lines after a race either. I try to stick to my normal diet. Um, that said after a good, hard marathon, um, I'm, I'm totally down for a nice greasy hamburger, uh, and a lot of really good French fries. Like that's, that's probably like my ideal meal. Um, I would settle for a good pizza, especially since I don't have pizza very often anymore. Uh, I still have hamburgers fairly, fairly regularly, but I don't have pizza very often. So, you know, maybe right after a, a marathon, yeah, the allure of a, of a good pizza that, that might get me. Um, and I could probably find, find room for a little bit of ice cream after, uh, you know, the day after a, a race. Um, I don't do anything after a hard workout, uh, or anything like that. I mean, just normal stuff. Um, and as always, my, always my default answer, what would be my favorite treat at the end of a race or at post-race food or post-race post-training uh, intake coffee still haven't found a race that, that gives coffee at the finish line. But when I do that will officially become my favorite race I've ever run simply because they put coffee at the finish line. Last of the trifecta from Nancy. Can you please share some fun and creative ways to make friends with your treadmill? Now that the darker months are upon us and some of us will be indoors a lot for our workouts. Although buying another, uh, another, I don't know, pretzel, whatever that is, something, something warm, uh, to brave the outdoors is on my to-do list. Do you have any fun, creative, innovative workouts for the treadmill to share? No, no, I don't. Cause the treadmill sucks. Nancy, I hate the treadmill. Um, you're barking up the wrong tree here, but actually I do have some, you know, and we've, we've talked about this before. Um, and it is, it is treadmill season. So for those of you that are, are going to have to start spending a bit more time on the treadmill because of ice, because of, you know, the, the, the dark mornings, the, the early evenings, um, and not wanting to be outside when it's, when it's dark and especially when it's snowing and dark and there's snow plows and all that kind of stuff on the road. I get it. Uh, I am very thankful that that's not something I have to deal with down here in Florida, but, uh, you know, ways to make the treadmill more fun things I've talked about before, um, such as like picking a, a, a series or a show on like Netflix or Hulu, but designating that is that I only watch it while I'm on the treadmill. Um, so there's, there's no, there's no watching it outside of time on the treadmill. So, you know, that's kind of your motivation to get up and get going is that you get to watch the next episode of whatever show is that hopefully the, the trashier, the better. Um, but, but whatever it is, it's going to reel you in and, and make you want to watch it. Designate that only treadmill, you know, treadmill watching only kind of has a way to get you on the treadmill a little bit more frequently than, uh, it, you might otherwise. So that's, that's an option. Obviously there's, you know, just Netflix and, and Hulu in general, but I like having, right. Like recommending, I don't like having, cause I'm not going to be on the treadmill. So I'm not going to ever watch that show, but I like recommending, Hey, pick one show, only watch it on the treadmill. Something that you really want to watch. It'll make it happen. Um, other options, you know, something like, uh, 
using a, a Peloton app, which I'm obviously a fan of Peloton. I use it for the bike. I use it for the yoga. I use it for the strength training. Um, they also have um, treadmill workouts you can do. So, you know, just having something to mix up the monotony a little bit of just like, I'm going to get on and I'm going to run. And maybe you're going to do some, you know, playing with the, with the, the speed and the, the elevation and things like that on your own. But I find like, I find it with the strength training, certainly that it might be easier to have somebody tell you what to do. Plus you get good music going on in the background. At least I, you know, you can pick which, which, uh, which workouts you want to do. So you can kind of pick based on the, the music tracks. Um, but you know, you, it's kind of, it can be helpful to be like, all right, you know, have somebody just say, Hey, all right, you're going to crank it up to 7.0 and, and crank the, the, the incline up to, to five. You just do it as opposed to like, I don't know if I'm really like, Nope, they told me to do it. I'm going to do it. So that might help you. Um, you can also dial up the, uh, the, the run better app, our friends from run better, um, that have the app where that it, uh, as much as possible replicates marathon courses from around, around the world. So you can run segments of Boston or New York or, um, big Sur or London or whatever. There's, I don't know, a 20, something like that, different courses on, on the app. Um, and you just set that up and you, you know, how far you want to go. And it tells you to right, set your, set your, you know, you, you tell it what pace you're running. And then it tells you to right, set your incline for this, uh, for this part of the course. And then it, it just, it, moves up and down based on the actual incline of, um, the terrain of the course. So that could be a, a, a nice way to kind of keep things a little bit interesting. You know, maybe you're training for Boston through the winter, so you can kind of train for some of the Hills and, and things like that. Um, if that's something that you want to do. So, so check out the run better app. Um, and that's about it. I mean, those are, those are my, my options for the treadmill. Um, ugh, I, I do not envy you, Nancy or anyone that's going to be stuck inside on the treadmill this winter. Got to do what you got to do. And I suppose if I was, if I was in your shoes, I would probably suck it up and get on the treadmill as opposed to not running, but I'm glad, I'm glad that I am not in your shoes. So good luck for the next several months of a bit more time indoors than you would prefer. Next question comes from Cynthia. Since starting running in May, I heard that breathing in through the nose for three breaths out through the mouth for two is ideal for runners. Reason was that you are landing on a different foot every time for every exhale when your core is not activated. And so it is less stressful on the body. I find myself counting all through my runs. Is this a distraction or it, it is a distraction and hasn't failed me yet, but wondering if all runners use this breathing method or if this was, if it was just this group of trainers that I was working with. Um, it's what I do. It's what I do. And, and where it kind of stemmed from or where I first heard about it, it was, it was an article in runner's world several years back. Uh, it was when the book, uh, running on air, I think is the, the title of the book. Uh, let me double check that. But it was, it was a book that had come out and it was looking at the, the breathing, um, you know, how to breathe when you, when you run and it is called, yes, running on air is the title of the book. Uh, there's a link in the show notes today, disruns.com slash seven, eight, one. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it, it's the, the rationale that you've given is exactly right. It, it keeps you from, from landing on, or it, it keeps you, um, your inhale exhale cycle is always on a different starting on a different, uh, step as opposed to if you breathe in for two out for two, it's always when your left foot hits the ground or your right foot hits the ground this way. It's, it alternates back and forth, which alternates the amount of stress helps with stability, yada, 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 reduce risk of injury, more efficient. Um, but yeah, the counting awkward, but you get over it. You get over it. You, you start to just kind of, you know, just like anything at first, you got to be focused on it or else you kind of drift off. But I, I don't know when the last time I really like was focused on my breath, but every once in a while I, I check in and I'm pretty much on pretty much on. So, you know, three and two is a good one. Um, two and one, if you're running harder, so, so two breaths in one, one breath out, um, 
also works. You just, you just want it to be odd, right? You want to be three, five, seven is probably too much. You're not going to really breathe in for for four and out for three. Um, but but three in for three, out for two, in for two, out for one. Uh, talks about it in the Runner's World article. Talks about it in and running on air. Um, and it works. It works. And eventually, you won't have to count the whole entire time. I promise. I promise. Uh, next question comes from Hilda. Why do I? Or no, sorry, not why. What? What do I eat and not eat the week before a marathon? It's hard to let go of my red wine. Girl, you can still have some wine. It's all good. Have your wine. Uh, maybe don't have like three bottles a night, you know, but have a glass. That's okay. Um, but seriously, I mean, again, lots of lots of pre, pre-race, pre-marathon food, diet, nutrition questions this week. Um, my default answer, because it's my answer, um, and it's what I do, is to not really change things up too much. Um, I tend to, to abstain a little bit more from, from, uh, from my gin the week of a race. But otherwise, like from a diet perspective, nothing really changes. Um, so I would just go with, with, again, the normal foods that you eat, Hilda, what, what, whatever the normal stuff is, the normal types of food, um, the, the normal quantities, uh, normal times a day, like just stick with what works for you normally, even though it's, re- yes, it's race week. It's a little bit different, but you know, normal, normal diet, normal nutrition, have a glass of wine once in a while. Um, you're going to be fine. You're going to be fine. Don't overthink it. Don't overthink it. Eat what you normally eat you know, you may want to pull back on the, on the alcohol a little bit, but having a glass of wine, having a beer, um, it's not the end of the world. Okay. Just, you know, might not want to get shmammered the night before your race, but having a glass and, and don't, don't give me that whole, well, well the bottle is glass. So it's, yeah, you can give me that any other day of the week, but the night before your race, you might want to just have a little bit, just, just enough to calm you down. Oh, all right. I, got, I had my wine. Now I can get to bed, you know, that type of thing. Um, is, is going to be fine. It's going to be fine. It's not going to cause you a problem, especially if you're eating well, making sure you're drinking enough water, all those types of things. You're going to be, you're going to be okay. Don't overthink it the week before your race. Just eat normal, do normal stuff. Take care of your body. Your body will take care of you. Next question comes from Riley. I recently read 80, 20 running and I'm working to try and follow the guidelines laid out in the book. I'm wondering if there's a difference between the idea of running in zones and heart rate training. Also, how do I find the balance between easy runs and pushing myself? So, um, Riley, I mean, it, it really like heart rate training and, and running in different zones. I mean, those are, those are basically just kind of two variations on the same theme, you know? So I think heart rate training is kind of more of the umbrella, um, term where, where you're running based on what your heart rate, uh, you know, is, is gauging your effort to be, but you can do more of a maffetone, maffetone style where you, everything is below your heart rate, you know, threshold or your heart rate limit. You can do more of an 80, 20, where 80% of it is below. Um, and then the zones, you can just kind of, you know, figure your zones based on, um, the different levels. So a lot of times zone two, when you're talking about zone training tends to be kind of where that, that aerobic threshold, aerobic maximum tends to be not always perfect, but that's kind of the, the general philosophy. So, you, you know, if you're doing heart rate training, you want to be in zone one or zone two, most of the time. Um, it's, it's, you're splitting hairs to try to really differentiate between, you know, z- zones and, um, you know, pure heart rate. I mean, it's, it's basically the same thing. So don't, don't get caught up on that. Um, as for finding the balance between easy, easy runs and pushing yourself. Well, if you're doing 80, 20, it's right there for you. 80% of the time should be easy. Only 20% should you be pushing yourself. But when you push yourself, you should push hard. So that, that 20%, it's not workouts, it's workout time. So if you're doing a, a 15 minute warm up that's easy and then 20 minutes at tempo pace and then five minute cool down, just to make the numbers easy, that would mean that that workout was 50% easy, 50% hard. 
Okay. So then that means that the next workouts you need to do, you need to make sure that they're, that you're overwhelmingly running easy, probably the rest of the week so that that balance ends up being 80% easy and 20% hard so that you end up with 80 minutes of easy running, 20 minutes of hard running to get that 80, 20 balance. doesn't have to be perfect every week. Um, when I was doing 80, 20 running, I actually like, I legit had a spreadsheet going where I kept track each week. What was my training volume? Uh, what was my total minutes? What was my minutes running easy? What was my minutes running hard? Kept track of the the percentage uh, and and made sure that my my total running percentage for the year was staying in that you know basically as close to eighty twenty as possible. I think I think I was might have been at at eighty three seven eighty three seventeen maybe, um, but I try to keep it right about there. Um, now that I'm more Maffetone style, it's just like I don't really run hard except I'm on race day um, or occasionally I'll mix a workout in. But for the most part, easy all the time. Fitness is improving. Body feels good. Uh, can't complain. Can't complain. So, uh, you know, you, you got to find what, what, the, what philosophy works best for you. And then from there, you kind of understand based on that philosophy, which, you know, how to balance your easy and hard days um, or workouts or whether or not you're even doing workouts based on what philosophy you're following. But pick one, stick to it. Um, both are good. Both are effective. Um, certainly both are much more effective than just hammering it all the time or kind of running in that middle ground of not really hammering it, but not running easy. Like that's about the worst thing you can do. So differentiate and go from there. Hopefully that, that helps Riley. If you have further questions, please let me know. Another question from Virginia. Um, again, same, the lady, not the state. Uh, (laughs) have you tried the Colorado Cola? That's Colorado, the state, uh, the Colorado Cola flavor of tailwind thoughts. Um, no, I haven't Virginia. I'm sorry. I, I haven't, I haven't tried the new flavor of tailwind yet. Um, it's on my list, but I haven't, I haven't had to order any in a while. So I haven't tried a new one and, and our local running shop as good as they are. They don't carry tailwind here. So I can't just pick up a pack or two and try it. Um, I don't know. I'll check the, I'll check the expo. If there's any in, uh, in the, the, the DC expo, uh, the Marine Corps marathon expo, maybe I'll grab a, a, a sleeve, a single serve and uh, try it on race day, you know, whatever, try something new on race day, right? That's, that's what you're supposed to do. No, not, but I'll try it. I'll, I'll, Ever the ever the one to, to sacrifice himself for his crew. If they have some at Marine Corps, I'll get a pack. I'll try it during the race, and I will report back to you. But as of as of recording this, no, ma'am, I have not tried it, so I can't give you any thoughts. I've heard good things, haven't tried it myself. Next question comes from Juliet. Have only one, two, three, four more to go. Four more to go. Still not going to be in under an hour and a half, though. Gave it. Give it the old college try, but uh, not going to probably happen. Uh, Juliet says or asks, I ran a half marathon this weekend and have another one in two weeks. How should I handle running in between? I plan on running eight miles this weekend, but not sure what to run during the weeks. Um, you know, the, the biggest thing, Juliet, with running two half marathon, racing two half marathons on, on with two weeks apart, um, is you're kind of recovering the first week and tapering the second week. So it's, it's really... Um, Lots of gray. There's not a lot of black and white in there. Um, assuming that your legs feel good, doing that eight miles in between, that sounds perfect. That sounds about right. Um, you know, something to stretch your legs out. Um, but if your legs aren't quite feeling good after the first race, don't force the eight miles. Better to cut it at five or four or zero if your legs aren't quite ready yet. So make sure you recover first from the first race. Then the week of the second race, just treat it like a taper. So, you know, one or two runs, maybe three runs, but just nice and easy, nothing too long, nothing too intense. Just kind of get the legs moving, uh, break a little sweat, make sure that you're shaking the rust off and then 
run the next race hard. But you know, it's not. It, it's it's very fluid. Those you know, one or two weeks between races, as far as what you do, it, it depends on how the recovery goes after the first race, what the goals are for the second race. Um, but just like anything during the taper, just like my my answer to Virginia's first question about the week before the marathon, the week before a half marathon, especially the one second one in two weeks, less is more. Less is more. There's nothing you're going to do that's going to make you more fit for the second race. But certainly if you try to do too much, you're putting yourself at risk of being fatigued, more likely to be injured, um, those types of things that is going to make the second race a lot less fun, a lot more difficult, potentially more painful. And you don't want to do that. So less is more. Um, but don't be, if, if everything feels good, all systems go, get a couple of little runs in, you know, th- three miles, four miles, uh, a couple of those, maybe three of those, you'd be good to go. Um, Next question comes from Neil. Do you have any thoughts on using KT tape to help with nagging injuries? I have seen people getting it applied at the expo the day before a race. The, K- the KT tape website shows several applications. Yeah, I have some thoughts, Neil. I have some thoughts. They're not the most positive thoughts, though. Um, KT tape, in my opinion, in my view, my pro- I think it's a professional opinion. I'm going to call it a professional opinion. You, you, your, your mileage on that may vary, but KT tape is great as a bandaid, it's terrible for a cure. So, you know, for somebody who's getting it on right before a race, um, maybe there's something that's nagging. Maybe there's something that cropped up in the last few days. It can be helpful to get through that race. That's kind of what it's for. Too many people, in my professional opinion, rely on KT tape as the solution to their problem, as the solution to their shin splints or their plantar fasciitis or their IT band issues or whatever. Because yeah, according to the website, it, it solves everything. It, it helps with everything. It leaves all these aches and pains. Yeah, but it doesn't solve those. I, there was a slight slip of the tongue there when I said it solves everything. Although their website might even say that. I don't know. I haven't been to their website in a while because I'm just like, yeah, what a waste of time and money. But um, it can help in the moment. It can help short term. But as far as actually solving a problem, KT tape is not going to alleviate your plantar fasciitis or your runner's knee or your IT band issues. It's just going to, make you feel like they're, it's okay, but it's not, it's not solving the problem. It's not addressing the, the root issue. It's a bandaid. And from where I sit, I ain't got to, I, I have time for band-aids short term, long term. I ain't got time for that. I've got time for foam rolling, for stretching, for strength training, for running easy, for taking care of my body. So that 30 years from now, 40 years from now, if I'm lucky 50 years from now, I'm still running and I'm still not running with my KT tape that I started using when I was 35 because I had a case of plantar fasciitis. I've been using it for 50 years. No, 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 no. I use it to get through a race. I didn't really use it, but I'm just hypothetical. Use it to get through a race, got through the race, solved the plantar fasciitis problem, then stayed on top of it for the next 50 years, still running strong, probably running a bit slower than I am right now, but still running. And my feet are good. My feet are good. So, you know, if you've got, um, nagging injuries, nagging issues, you know, the, the, the KT tape can help with, but they're not going to solve the problem. And that's, that's the issue that I have with KT tape is that it doesn't ultimately solve the problem. And that's, you know, that's kind of what I think what I'm kind of in business for is to help solve the problems, not just to mask them, not just to make you think that they're gone when they're really not. Because then the next time you go to run, you're like, Oh shit, I forgot the KT. Oh God, my knee's hurting. Well, that's, that's not a good situation to be in. Let's solve the problem. Let's address the, the, the underlying issue, get that fixed. And now you don't have to use the KT tape every time you go for a run. That's, that's the better position as far as I'm concerned. Last two from Desiree. Um, says, I've been struggling with getting my heart rate down. Any advice or techniques lately? 
I would start my run at 13 minute pace and my heart rate is already at 160. Then as I get faster, heart rate gets higher too. I've tried stopping, catching my breath, and then my heart rate spikes up again. Any advice? So uh, Desiree, um, there's a lot of variables that could be at play in this situation. Probably a lot of variables that are at play in this situation. So it's really hard for me to give you um, a great solution. Um, you know, what are some of the variables? It could be just day-to-day stress, work stress, life stress, a lack of sleep, being dehydrated, what you eat, uh, being, you know, wh- whether you eat right before your run, cause that's going to bring your heart rate up. Um, having caffeine, you know, if you have some coffee before you run, or if you're running later in the day, uh, weather, heat, humidity, uh, there's, there's so many things that can impact your heart rate. And it's so easy. And I'm guilty of this too. So easy of just looking at your heart rate number and going, Oh shoot, I got to slow down to get my heart rate under control. And it may help a little bit, but if there's a bunch of other factors that are influencing your heart rate, which spoiler alert, there are a bunch of other factors that are influencing your heart rate numbers. Um, you may not be able to run slow enough to get your heart rate down. I mean, shoot, if, if you're starting at, at 13 minute pace and your heart rate's already at 160, then that's a pretty clear sign to me that more than likely there's a whole host of other things going on. You know, if you're running in the afternoon after a, a long day of work and you're just kind of stressed and, and tense and anxious from work, that's going to have your heart rate up. If you're having a bunch of coffee or, or tea or a Coke or whatever, you got caffeine going, that's going to have your heart rate up. Um, if you just ate something while your body's digesting, that's going to have your heart rate up. So if you have all three of those things going on at the same time, plus it's hot because it's the afternoon and it's the sun's out. Uh, maybe you're running at higher elevation. So the oxygen level is lower. Um, all those things are going to influence your heart rate. So, um, you know, if you're serious about heart rate training, you just, you, you got to figure out and, you know, figure out what, what variables you can kind of address to try to help keep that heart rate be a bit lower, probably a a fair bit lower to keep your heart rate in, in your desired zone. So maybe that's getting up early running in the morning versus running in the afternoon. I know that's, that's worked wonders for me. Uh, if, if I go run, at four o'clock in the afternoon versus at five o'clock in the morning, it's like a, a 30, 30 uh, beats per minute difference because it's hot because I've been up all day because I've been, you know, working and dealing with whatever life and stress and things like that. Cause I've had coffee cause I've had food versus five o'clock in the morning. I just got out of bed. I walked the dog. I'm out the door running. Like I haven't checked my email yet. Haven't checked Facebook yet. Everything is peaceful and calm and happy. And it's like, I almost never even hit my heart rate limit, let alone go past it. Versus an afternoon run, man, it's hard to keep it below. So, you know, try to play with some of those variables and hopefully that'll help you keep your heart rate down. Okay. Desiree's second question. Last one of, of the month. Finally, after an hour and a half, we're wrapping this thing up. Uh, says another question during my run, I get heartburn. What can I do to get rid of it while I'm running? What's the reason why I get it? I love spicy food, but don't eat that much of it, especially when I know I'm running. Um, if I can read between the lines here, Desiree, there might be a, a tie in between the, these two, between the, the previous question with keeping the heart rate down, um, and having heart rate often when you run. Um, because if you're eating shortly before you run, you've got a full stomach, you've had a bunch of water, things like that, where your stomach is full, maybe not, obviously not full enough that you can't run, but if it's somewhat full, now you start sloshing it around and some of that, that you know, stomach acid starts to come up into your esophagus, which is the, the classic heartburn sensation. Um, try running on an empty stomach. Again, maybe try running first thing in the morning versus later in the day. Um, but those things can help. Also, of course, you can, you can, you know, bring some antacids with you, some antacid pills. And if you start to notice the heartburn, pop one of those. But again, that's kind of like the KT tape that Neil was asking about. That's kind of more treating the symptom, not addressing the underlying cause, right? Um, but but that, that'll make your run at least more pleasant. 
you know, maybe you pop a couple of, of antacid pills before you go running just as a preventative. There's nothing wrong with that. But again, that's not really solving the problem. That's just kind of reactionary medicine or reactionary treatments. Um, that's putting the bandaid on. So it might help, but you know, it doesn't address the underlying issue. So, you know, again, try different times a day. Um, you might just have, you know, it might be something you need to talk to the doctor about, maybe get some type of, uh, prescription medication. If, if you just kind of have, um, maybe a, a leaky valve in your, in your stomach that, that allows some of that acid reflux type of stuff. Um, you know, there's, there's different, different possible underlying c- c- uh, factors that could be at play. I doubt it, but there, it's possible. Um, but you know, the, the first thing that popped in my head, especially with these two questions back to back from, from you, um, is that I, I kind of wonder if you're eating and then, you know, eating lunch and then sneaking out for a run for the rest of your lunch break or eating dinner and then sneaking out for a run in the evening and you just haven't fully digested yet. The stomach's still full and it's just causing, you know, that and then you're sloshing it around and it's giving you the heartburn symptoms. So if, if either of those is even remotely accurate, that would be, I think the, the easiest and best solution is to try to run before you eat as opposed to after, if that's at all possible. So, whew, we made it. We made it, y'all. An hour and a half. An hour and whatever it's going to be. I don't know yet. Hour and 36, hour and 37, something like that by the time it's all said and done. My voice held up. A little bit surprised about that. Um, but we made it. We made it. So thank you guys all for the questions. Once again, if you want to get your questions answered on a future episode, um, pop over to the Facebook group, join the party, uh, and don't just wait for the question uh, post to come up, but you know, post some memes, post some gifs. Let us know how your training is going. Keep us, keep us informed. Like, it's always fun to uh, to interact, to to crack some jokes, to have a good time in the group. Dizruns.com uh, slash Facebook is the way to get there, or just pop over to uh, you know when you're on Facebook, just do a search for Dizruns. Come join us there as well. Um, and uh, once again, thanks to uh, Dan and Julie, Jennifer, Deborah, and Eric for supporting. Uh, supporting the show via Patreon, getting me that cup of coffee each month, or a couple cups of coffee, several cups of coffee for uh, a couple of y'all. Uh, really appreciate it. Uh, and uh, again, thank you. Patreon.com slash if you want to support the cause that way as well. And now, before my voice is completely lost after an hour and 30-something minutes of, of yammering on, go ahead and sign off for this one. But y'all, thank you for listening. Thanks for sticking through this marathon edition of Listener Q&A. Next month, who knows? Maybe there'll be two. There might be two Q&As next month just to break it up a little bit, make it a little bit easier to digest, a little bit easier for me to spit out. But uh, we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. And until then, be well. Please take care. Thank you all for listening. And uh, once again, talk soon. See you.